Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 97 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Team Builder, an interview with Athena Brownson. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Athena Brownson. Athena Brownson is a 29-year-old real estate entrepreneur from Denver, Colorado. Ms. Brownson was a professional freestyle skier practicing over 300 days a year when she first started experiencing the symptoms of her tick disease. After finishing college in 2014, she developed severe anxiety and depression, GI issues, and extreme fatigue. She couldn't figure out why her health was continuing to deteriorate, and she started to have migraines and thyroid issues. Luckily, Ms. Brownson's boyfriend was a doctor who grew up on the East Coast. He knew there was an underlying cause to her symptoms and convinced her to get tested for Lyme disease. It came back positive. Ms. Brownson was treated for her Lyme disease with disulfiram, but she has had to take a break from her treatment to address parasites in her gut that are preventing the antibiotic from tackling her Lyme disease. Now, Ms. Brownson aims to help her fellow Lymeys by reminding them that, although there may be bad days, you must give yourself grace and love throughout the Lyme disease journey. Hi, Athena, and welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I appreciate you having me. Well, we're really blessed to have you uh, as well. So, Athena, where are you today? Today, I am in Denver, Colorado on this rainy morning in and, May. I can't believe it's May. It's crazy that, uh, <laughs> well, the cool thing about May is it is Lyme Awareness Month, so May is a cool month for you, Limeys. Best month. So, um, uh, what do you do in Colorado? I am a real estate broker in my current life in Denver. And uh, are you a native of Colorado? I am. I was born in Denver. I uh, grew up in Breckenridge, so I grew up in the mountains, and I've been here pretty much ever, ever, pretty much ever since I was born. <laughs> so I understand you had a very athletic childhood. Tell us about your childhood. Athletic, to say the least. Um, so yes, I, I was raised in the mountains. My dad was a professional speed skier. So he uh, was one of the first people to break 125 miles an hour on a pair of skis. So I, I, I always say I didn't have a chance. Um, I started skiing at age two, uh, right when I could walk, basically. And it, my entire life was skiing. So I, uh, I I was on snow every single day, pretty much my entire childhood. Um, when I wasn't skiing, I was in the gym, and it it was it was my existence for sure. I went professional at skiing when I was uh, 15 years old, actually in Vermont, and I was a professional skier for a decade. So I was an athlete to say the least. <laughs> so now, was it your goal to become a, spe a special skier or a professional skier, or did you have some other goals during your childhood? Oh my gosh, I had every goal you could imagine. Um, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. I wanted to be, um, I definitely wanted to be a doctor for a very long time. Um, and then I kind of moved more into the world of, of wanting to be an architect. And then I wanted to be a you know, a business, I always had really lofty goals. Um, and I think that was because of skiing. Absolutely. So while ski, it was my goal to be a professional skier. That was almost so innate that it bred other goals within me. Um, and skiing, skiing taught me everything I know about life for sure. <laughs> so what was your family life like during the course of your childhood? Was it a close family or were you uh, focus on what, what kind of things were you focusing on and what was your family life like? Absolutely. So I am so close with my, my parents. I'm an only child. Um, my mother had me when she was 42 years old. So, uh, you know, I was raised by older parents and our family unit was very tight and still is to this day. They're in Breckenridge. I'm in Denver. So we're only an hour apart. I see them all the time. And they're, I always say, they're, they're like the biggest rock stars I know because they're in their 70s and they're still skiing almost every single day. My dad, you know, now that the mountains have been shut down with coronavirus, he's been hiking mountains. He's 72 and hikes mountains every day to get turns in. Um, so I'm really close with my family and his, his athleticism and my mom's an artist. Um, they're this beautiful combination of complete opposites and 
they really formed me into who I am today and they're, they're my support system for sure. So I'm very fortunate that in that, in that manner. <laughs> what was your childhood like prior to going to, I'm sorry, what was, what was your social life like prior to going to college? Oh my goodness. So I, I mean, I was, I was an athlete, so my, my life did revolve. I was very disciplined. Um, and, but I, I spent all my time with other athletes. So I, you know, I'd wake up with my team and I'd go to the gym at 5 a.m. and get limber for the day. And then I'd be on the mountain from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And I was the most energetic little nugget of a human you could, you could imagine. Um, I, I was surrounded by other professional skiers that were extremely driven and shared the same goals and discipline that I did. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a mountain community where schooling allowed for me to thrive in athletics as well. So I was on the mountain every day by 11 and finished classes for the day. So it was pretty much the perfect dream setup for, for a kid that wanted to be on snow all the time. <laughs> so let's talk about your decision to go to college. Why did you go to college and where did you go to college? Absolutely. Um, so school was kind of always an afterthought because of skiing for me. It just wasn't, um, it wasn't ski. I was so in the, into skiing that it was, of course I was going to go to college, but it wasn't as big of a, a thought in my life. And, um, I decided to go to school, um, when I think I, I think I was on my seventh knee surgery at that point. Um, I've had nine, nine AC, nine ACLs, nine knee surgeries. Um, and I think at a, around number seven, I was only 20 years old at that time. Um, and I, I thought it was time to go to school. So I had applied to colleges where I knew that I could still ski. Um, and I ended up at CU Boulder, uh, very close by University of Colorado Boulder, where they have a great program that allowed me to go to school in the summer and the fall. And then I'd take the winter off and continue skiing. And I started off um, studying business and then architecture and art history and interior design. So like com two complete opposites, um, which describe, you know, I think complement each other really well, but um, I, I definitely was very focused on skiing at that point. And then when my skiing career slowly started to disappear because of injuries, uh, skiers have a very, early retirement age. <laughs> so I, re I retired pretty young um, and went to school full time at CU Boulder, got my degree in art history and interior design with a minor in peace and conflict studies. Um, and yeah, I loved it. I love Colorado, obviously. <laughs> so you, you knew at some point your skiing career was going to come to an end and you were going to have to have a post skiing career. Mm -hmm. So what were your goals when you were pursuing um, your college career yeah. after you graduated from college? What was your second career going to be after professional skiing? So I had, I think I'd had like a little bit of a quarter life crisis. And I think um, this happens very commonly when you move from kind of ending one chapter of life and that chapter being so all encompassing, which was you know, my, my existence had been skiing. I was skiing 300 days a year for my entire life, pretty much. Um, and the only reason that I stopped doing so was because of injury. Um, so I, that was definitely a, a, a little bit of a quarter life crisis for me. It was sure I'm, I'm enjoying school and I'm, I love to learn, but I didn't have any idea what I was wanted to do all of a sudden. Um, so of course I finished college. Uh, I wanted, I thought at the time I wanted to be an interior designer. I love art and art history. And that had been really what was drawing out the passion in me in college. Um, I love architecture and I love learning about civilizations and the use of art and storytelling, which is why I got so excited about you when we were talking about the art of storytelling and creating narrative um, through space. 
So I, I knew that I really, really loved that. I think I, I was studying business because it was something that I, I thought I should do and it w- would be successful. But did I have any passion for business? Not necessarily. Um, and when I thought about real estate, you know, I grew my dad's a developer. So I did grow up in, in the world of real estate. But I really wanted nothing to do with it, honestly, um, at the t- when I graduated college. And that was because growing up in Breckenridge, I always said there was more real estate offices than t-shirt shops. So I kind of thought of it as a very um, kind of like used car salesman, like very overrun. I had no interest or desire. Um, but what I didn't realize was that real estate was these spaces and the st- a part of people's journey and story and life um, through space and through home and through shelter that is so pivotal in someone's life. And I didn't ever think of that. Um, well, I'm going to, I want to come back to that, but let's yeah. walk back a little bit. So yeah. I'd like to talk to you about your career as a skier and the places skiing took you to, whether it be um, in Colorado or other places and what type of contact did you have with the woods and, 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 uh, and, and wildlife? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll take you through um, what my what a twelve month period would look like in in my skiing um, because that'll take you throughout the world in which I live. So um, as a skier, you chase snow, uh, obviously. Um, so my summers I spent between Oregon skiing on the glacier at Mount Hood and then hiking in the forests in Oregon after skiing every day um, and Whistler, British Columbia, where it was the same thing. So for about three months in the summer, um, I was skiing on the glacier in Oregon or Whistler and then hiking in the woods right after it. Um, And then I would go down to South America, um, chase winter, ski in Argentina, Chile, or New Zealand, um, depending on the year and where the best snow was. Uh, That would be August and September. October, mountains would start to open in Colorado, and I would come back, and I would start skiing in Colorado from about October to January. Um, Of course, I, you know, I'm in the woods constantly, whether it was fully bundled up in clothing with skiing or, you know, hiking in the woods afterward. I was in the forest nonstop. Um, And then in January, I would head to Germany. Um, I lived in Germany three or four months out of the year for a couple of years. Um, Again, heavily wooded areas. And then I would head up to Canada, or excuse me, California. So Mammoth, Mammoth, California. Um, and I'd ski there. So I was pretty much in the forest 360 days a year. And never once was I, did I even know about ticks. <laughs> so let's talk about that. So I would assume as a professional skier, mm-hmm. there was a great deal of training that you received not only about the techniques associated with skiing, but how to keep yourself safe and what type of equipment you should use. Did any of that training ever include either tick awareness or tick protection tools? I didn't even know that that was a thing when I was growing up. No, absolutely not. So um, yeah, you know, health and, and wellness and well-being were pivotal pivotal in me being a successful skier. So whether that was um, through dry land training and being in the gym with Olympic lifting coaches, um, training at the Olympic Training Center here in Colorado Springs, um, you know, I had nutritionists, um, doctors on staff, like every, every, every doctor you could kind of imagine that was around athletics. Um, I, I was consulting with and not once was, um, even the, the word tick mentioned to me. Never. So so let's now talk about that. You had this whole team of professionals whose job it was to maximize your health Mm -hmm. and your capacity to succeed as a professional athlete. Yeah. And then you start to show what you now know to be the symptoms of your tick disease. When did those symptoms begin to present and how did your team of professional health coaches react to your symptoms? 
Honestly, they were so far. It, my symptoms now, um, I'm 29 years old, just for the record, so that we can kind of build my chronology. So I'm 29 now. Um, and I, I, I look back and I put the pieces together. And I think it was around that mid quarter life crisis that I mentioned previously, um, that I started exhibiting these signs of Lyme. Um, so at this point, I was, I was pretty removed from um, this team of professionals that had helped me through, at that point, nine knee surgeries, two ankle surgeries, um, and then at at that moment, a broken neck. So I was pretty far removed from, from these trainers um, when I started to ex experience what I attribute now to being, you know, early, my earliest symptoms of Lyme disease. So I really didn't have anyone there um, to help me put it together at that time. It was kind of just, I'm done skiing. What the heck am I going to do next? <laughs> okay. So, but I, I don't want to miss the early symptoms that you started to show. I, I do want to get to the point where you had your quarter life crisis. And I think that's a great way of describing it because I think that's going to be a really important part of the story that you need to share. But yeah. let's walk back to the earliest symptoms. When did you first start showing the symptoms that you now looking back know were the symptoms of your tick disease? Yeah. So I started to experience some really... I'm a very joyful, I've always been a pretty joyful person. Um, and I started to really battle depression and anxiety when I was in college. Um, and it kind of showed up out of nowhere. So I believe that's what you're referring to. Um, yeah. And then I started experiencing really bad GI issues. So all of a sudden, you know, a healthy, young, athletic driven, individual was was battling mental mental illness issues that weren't weren't there prior um and to me looking back when i was in it of course you know never in a million years would i have attributed it i attributed it to something other than oh i'm you know it's something i'm doing um but looking back now it's it, it's pretty clear that that was a pretty pretty dramatic change in my existence and in my mind state and in my um, mental mental well-being and I really attribute that to the the onset of all of my symptoms with Lyme. So now how did your symptoms develop? You indicated that you had this it looked like uh, joint set of problems where you were having these mental health issues and you were also having your gut health issues at the same time yeah which is something that we probably want to explore together a little bit more, but yeah. then your symptoms started to develop in other ways. What other symptoms began to develop, which you now attribute to your tick disease? Absolutely. Fatigue, the most um, brutal fatigue, and that brutal fatigue and brain fog and lack of ability to really understand what was coming next in my life. Um, it becomes kind of foggy. Like I look back, I, you know, I try and remember what it was like to feel good and to be that athletic, young, really, really energetic individual. And I don't even remember what it's like to have that kind of energy. Um, now I, I pretty much rely on coffee and <laughs> B vitamins, anything else to get me through. Um, and I really fatigue, depression, inability to keep food down, um, joint pain, lack of motivation. These are all what I, you know, now attribute to Lyme. And they were so all encompassing that it kind of just became what my existence was. Um, and it was battling, you know, one thing separately at a time. Um, and the inability, I didn't, you know, now I put them together and I understand they were all part of part of one umbrella, but it was just one after another after another with battling stomach issues um, and battling depression and anxiety and confusion and fatigue. Uh, and now I understand that, but at the time it was, why am I, why is a healthy young adult experiencing 
such an onslaught of health issues when I had never experienced anything like it before. So you went from being this professional athlete who is a peak performer, who had a beautiful life, who now is starting to show these little symptoms that are having an impact on her capacity to perform at a high level. Absolutely. So, you know, I, throughout my career as a skier, I, you know, was faced with injury, but for me, injury or any illness was something that had a start and a finish because I was really, really good at rehab. So I was, you know, even if I was getting injured, which I was consistently, I knew that if I followed A, B, C, and D, I was going to get better. So it was, you know, I blow a knee, I follow, I get surgery, I follow this protocol to a T and I get better. So for me, illness was always some, or illness injury was always something that I had a starting point and an ending point. So I was a healthy, you know, very disciplined, very driven, even when I was injured um, or when I was in, encountering a, a battle or something I needed to overcome. Um, and it was, that was, I thrived on that. I was good at rehabbing. I knew how to get myself better. I knew that I, I had the tools and the arsenal and the team around me to get through pretty much anything. Um, but that has, that's the hardest thing about what Lyme is, is it's so multifaceted that there's no straight journey. There's no starting and end point necessarily. Um, and that's hard to wrap your mind around, especially from someone that was able to do that prior with any other issue I had. All right, so this is different. You're having a very different experience. Even though you had been injured many, many times and you went through rehab many, many times, you now are having a very different experience. Talk to, us, least. <laughs> talk to us about what impact this different health challenge was presenting to you first physically. What impact was it having on your capacity to perform as a skier at the high level you had been performing at before you were 22? Yeah. Um, fatigue, mean, the inability for my body to keep up started to present itself. So where, where at one point I was able to, um, you know, pretty much keep myself energized and going through anything, I started to notice that I, my stamina and my ability to physically, even mentally, if I was able to keep going physically, I, I started to lag. Um, and for me, that was confusing and frustrating because as a professional athlete, you, you look at your body, your body is, you're a warrior. And, it, and that's why I am a warrior with Lyme a hundred percent, but I've always been able to push my body through anything. Um, so when I started to encounter these, these, um, you know, my body almost fail. I felt like it still feels in some ways like my body starts to fail me. And that was confusing and very frustrating because my body has always been my tool um, for success. So all of a sudden when, men when mentally I'm exhausted and I can't get out of bed when I used to be able to get out of bed or um, my muscles start to present too much soreness and joint pain and stiffness that I'm not able to perform. Um, you can you can understand the mental ramifications of that for a young adult as well. Well, I'd like you to talk about that. That's going to be my next set of questions. So now you're you're this gifted professional athlete who's had all kinds of success and a very gifted genetic physical foundation which is now beginning to fail you at a stage in your life where you are probably believing you are going to be a peak performer. 100%. How did that impact how you felt about yourself? What kind of doubts were creeping into your mind? What impact did that have in your ability to believe in yourself? Uh, and then I'd like you to talk about how that impacted you socially. Yeah, absolutely. So it was confusing. Um, very, very confusing because, you know, I still look at, you know, the family that I was, you know, raised in and the people that were, that I was surrounded by were all performers as well. So when I started to see that I wasn't keeping up or necessarily 
didn't know what was next, um, didn't quite understand where my path was going, that was a huge mental hit. So going from, you know, having these huge aspirations of, you know, Olympic dreams and traveling the world and con continually setting these performance goals for myself to, to kind of having to take a step back and because my, my body wasn't keeping up and I wasn't, wasn't able to perform at that level was mentally depressing. And it was, it was confusing for me and it really, um, it's taken until the last couple of years to understand why that was happening and what my next purpose is. But I was lost for sure. Um, socially, you know, it, I went from having a life with other, other skiers and other athletes to having to take a step back from that world and that being a loss of identity as well. It was the ending of one chapter and the beginning of another. But of course, when you're in the middle of that, you don't understand where you are or what the next step is. So for me, I had no idea what was coming next in my life. And I knew that I was, you know, slowly um, losing sight of what my identity was, because at that time, my identity was Athena, the professional skier, not just Athena, the human being, it was, I was very wrapped up in my identity as an athlete and my social life was being an athlete as well. So it was, it was a complete loss of identity, I would say. <laughs> now, were you treating with any doctors at that time for either your, your gut health issues or your mental health issues that you now know were the onset of your Lyme disease? Yeah. So um, when I graduated college, I, find, I think it, maybe it was my last year in college. I think it was right the year after I graduated. Um, I finally went and saw a doctor for my mental health issues. So I'd always, I'm a huge advocate for therapy. When I was in college, I did, I went to a therapist, my, you know, my professional, um, my coaches, everyone always was an advocate for you know, if you needed therapy, that that was something you should do. So I've always, you know, I was always talking to therapists through different injuries, um, but it got to the point where it was, okay, I, I need some more help because this is, um, this, I couldn't get out of bed with depression and fatigue. I was experiencing panic attacks. Um, I was extremely depressed um, and I had no real real sight for a way out of that. So I did, I did go to a general practitioner along with a therapist um, where they helped me to route through that with medication. And that, that actually, you know, I, I do think that that probably saved my life because I was so depressed at the time. Now, Athena, did any of the doctors that you were treating with at that time ever suggest to you that you should be tested for Lyme disease? Not at that point, no. Um, and I, I, you know, I the only person that I'd ever heard of with Lyme, and I didn't even know what Lyme was. Um, there was another another girl who, who was a professional skier that I remember hearing at one point in time that she had Lyme disease, um, but I'd never, never once had that come up um, until really the last two years of my life did the word Lyme become, was that something I encountered? So when were you ultimately diagnosed with Lyme disease? Oh, about a year ago. Yeah, last, um, what month is it? Quarantine brain, it's April. Or no, it's May. <laughs> it's Lyme disease awareness month. <laughs> I was diagnosed last April, 2019. <laughs> okay. So... Can you talk to us about how your symptoms developed, what doctors you saw, and what diagnosis you received between when you first started showing your symptoms at 22 and when yeah. you were ultimately diagnosed at 28? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was 25 years old, I fell skiing. I was post-professional career. I was skiing recreationally, um, being a showboat. I, and I fell really, really, really hard and I broke my neck. Well, I say broke my neck. I tore, two, I tore a disc in my neck. Um, and I tried, you know, I tried to heal my neck non-surgically. I was so sick of having surgeries at this point. I was like, I'm just going to try and see if I can get, 
get it to heal itself. Um, I did a series of cortisone shots. I did months and months of physical therapy and finally decided it was time to get it fixed. So this, this breaking of my neck also, I really, really started experiencing GI, GI issues. So before I, I went in for neck surgery, I was having some GI issues, which I always attributed to, you know, traveling. I traveled a lot. So I, I, I kind of thought that, you know, oh, I, I get stomach infections because of the travels that I've done eating different things. Um, now I understand that that was my, you know, my immune system and my gut were just my weak, my weak points due to Lyme. Um, but I always attributed my stomach issues to the, to traveling. But when I broke my neck, I really started to have issues with my stomach. So I got my neck fixed. Um, best thing I ever did for sure. But when I was recovering from my neck surgery, it was stomach infection after stomach infection after stomach infection. And we'd treat one and something else would come up and treat another and something else would come up. And I was really fortunate um, because I had a doctor who was able to say, I think something bigger is going on here. There's no reason that you're, you should be in, encountering stomach infection after stomach infection after stomach infection. Um, I think there's something else going on here. And to me, I, I never in a million years would have guessed that there was in, you know, something bigger going on with my body. I thought it was just, you know, I've been exposed to a lot of um, different bacteria in my life. And unfortunately, my, my gut's no good. So it's just something I'm going to have to deal with. Um, but, you know, and it's a funny story because um, my, I, this person is, is my significant other and change, you know, That's really cool. first, yeah, I was the first person to say, Hey, I think we should test you for Lyme disease. And I was like, like I've never been bit by a tick. What are you talking about? <laughs> I thought it was foolish, honestly. <laughs> so let's, let's walk that part of the story back. So you're mm -hmm. in a relationship with someone who's a medical doctor. Could you share with us what his name is? Yeah, Dr. Chad Pressmack. And uh, now you and Dr. Chad were in a social relationship before you began to share your symptoms with him, which you now have diagnosed as uh, Lyme disease? Yeah. So, um, we had, I, I was, I was referred, you know, we have, we, our circles are very intertwined. Um, his neighbor is, is my lender and my mentor. So he introduced us. Um, one of my physical therapists worked with him. So she rehabbed me for multiple knees. So we had a lot of really, really, really close mutual friends. Um, and when I started encountering all of these GI issues, um, he is a monk functional medicine practitioner and doctor as well. Um, so he understood Western and Western medicine with a functional medicine perspective and grew up in, he grew up in Connecticut and had Lyme disease as well. <laughs> um, so when I started kind of saying, you know, just amongst friends that I was encountering all of these stomach infections is the one to say, you know, I think you, you should look into, you know, getting tested for Lyme disease because something, something bigger is going on here that I don't think you're aware of. And I wasn't aware of it. And I never in a million years had he not um, really step, said that. I never, I, I doubt to this day that I would have encountered a doctor that would have. So I'm, I was very fortunate there. So let's explore that a little bit more. You had seen many doctors between the ages of 22 and 28, yeah. most of whom were not trained on the East Coast, most of whom did not grow up in Connecticut, and I'm sure most of whom did not have Lyme disease. Yeah. I think it's interesting to note that all of those events had to come together for you to ultimately get a proper diagnosis, despite being in contact with a number of different doctors who had been treating your various symptoms over the course of about six years. Oh, absolutely. Lyme was never something that um, I had heard of that any doctor had brought up. It took a very, very, very strange and specific series of events for me to even hear the word Lyme. Um, and, you know, I very reluctantly 
tested for it because I had never growing up and I had never once heard to be aware of ticks. I had never once heard of Lyme disease. I had never understood what Lyme was. It was always, you know, it was a word. It was a word, period. There, it was not a concept. It was not a something that could be my reality um, until I got my test results back. Honestly, I was, I, I thought it was completely crazy to even test for it. And no one had ever brought it up to me in, in my, in my entire life. So what type of test did you take and what results did you receive once you took the tick disease test? Yeah. Um, what was the genetics? Uh, the hygienics. Yeah. yeah. I did the hygienics test. Um, and it was what, seven out of 10 different I had Lyme, Babesiosis, and Bartonella were what I tested positive. And what? Tick-borne relapsing fever. I tested positive on all of those the first go around, which now I, I understand is not usually the case for a lot of people. I do want to point out to our listeners is this is the first time we've interviewed someone that has had her doctor present who could download to us. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Chad. And I have more coffee too. Dr. Chad. <laughs> my hero. <laughs> he is. He's, he's all of our heroes, but you're, yeah. you're actually my hero as well. So, Let's let's talk let's talk about now what your new reality is, right? You you've gone from identity <laughs> shift to identity shift to now a third identity shift. You now are a Lyme. Yeah. What does that mean to you? And what are you now doing to deal with this new identity that you have as someone who's suffering from Lyme disease and various what we are now calling co-infections? Yeah, absolutely. Um I, I agree with you. These identity shifts are, are, are exhausting. <laughs> no, I, my, um, my reality now is a hundred percent revolves around my Lyme. Um, and I say that in the best and the worst way possible for sure, because I, I know that, um, I now that, that is something I, I, I never escape currently. But I want you to I want you to walk back now to your Lyme diagnosis. You don't know anything about Lyme disease. You don't know anything about ticks. Dr. Chad, who is now this wonderful new person in your life, who is coincidentally from Connecticut and had Lyme disease, now helps you to get to a diagnosis. But you don't know anything about it, right? You just have this now diagnosis of some strange East Coast disease that's yeah. now being uh, diagnosed for you by this strange East Coast doctor. Yeah. Um, and Absolutely. now, so what does that mean to you initially? And how does that begin to change and become your new identity? Yeah. So when I was diagnosed with Lyme, um, I had absolutely zero knowledge of it. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't understand the severity of it. I didn't understand um, that it wasn't, you know, you try and explain Lyme to anyone and it's very difficult because it's so multifaceted and it, it presents in such different ways in different people according to their immune system, their genetics. So trying, you know, getting a Lyme diagnosis is very confusing. Okay, so let's stay with that. Let's stay with that before. I don't want to run too far ahead. Yeah, so right now, are I get you, excited. <laughs> I know, I, and, 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 and I think our listeners are going to be really excited to hear, hear this piece uh -huh. of your story, but I, I, want, I want to stay with now your initial diagnosis. So are you afraid? Are you excited? Do you think, hey, I'm now going to be able to do what I always did with all of my other injuries. I now have a, I, I ha I have a healing path. I have a diagnosis. I'll pursue this healing path. My body's never betrayed me before. Now I'm going to fix this. Is that what your thoughts were? Or did you have other thoughts? Um, I had a multitude of thoughts. So yes, um, I, I was really excited to know that there was a reason why I was experiencing so many health issues. I was really excited to know that, you know, I wasn't just going to be experiencing, I got like mercury poisoning and fungal dysbiosis and SIBO, all of these very obscure, confusing health issues, I was excited to know that there was an underlying cause and that that underlying cause could be addressed. So in my head, I now had a new goal. My new goal was I'm going to fix my Lyme disease. Did I understand 
that it was the complexity of that when I was diagnosed, absolutely not. So me, how was something I was going to be able to have an endpoint that would be fixed quickly. <laughs> and how, how did you come to understand that this was not something you were going to be able to resolve quickly? And what impact did that have on you personally, socially, professionally? Talk to us about all of the changes that occurred in both you from the standpoint of you now identifying yourself as a different kind of person mm -hmm. and what impact that was having on every aspect of your life. Yeah, and this is still a journey that is very much so um, unfolding as currently. And I'm still in the midst of it, absolutely. Um, but my my fatigue got started to get to the point where I, you know, I really was not able to have the life that I I kept kept trying to keep up with at least over over the last five years. You know, it was I was and it was an uphill battle to to stay social and active and be this high performing individual, which I still am in many regards, but my, my life had to do a complete 180. And that was due to the fact that I now had um, such severe fatigue every single day that I wasn't, I, there was absolutely no way I could continue to keep up with the life um, that I once had. And that itself is obviously mentally challenging for anyone. <laughs> Um, yeah. Now, but Athena, you were losing that life as time went on, right? You went from being this high performer who was at the peak of her career, yeah. who starts to get sick and little by little, you're losing touch with your, your athletic circle and the friends you had in that circle. And you were not able to engage in a lot of the kinds of social activities you did, even with your own family. Your, your, your dad is still a, a high level skier <laughs> despite being a senior citizen. So you're now losing little by little, all of the things that made you, you, right? And Thank now you. you've now pivoted your career and you went from, you went from a career as a professional athlete to now a career as a professional realtor. And you've talked mm -hmm. to us a little bit about that. And I do want to explore that in more detail, but you're also unable to do all of the little things that you've always done in life, right? You really can't go out and you really can't do all of the kinds of things you had done before. Talk about that and what impact that's had on you. Man. Yeah. It, it's been extremely difficult and it continues to be um, because I, I like to think of, I have a very finite amount of energy um, on any given day. So if I, you know, I have, I, I continue to create very lofty goals for myself in the world of business. Um, and generally I do not have very much energy on any given day to even get close to all of the things done that I want to in my business world, let alone have energy left over to expend on being a social young adult. Um, so for me, going from even in, you know, as I retired out of skiing, I was still very, very active. I ran 20, 20 to 30 miles a week and I would went, I was a boxer and I did yoga multiple times a week. So I, I was, I've slowly watched that fade away to the point where now it's lucky. I'm lucky if, you know, one, one day or two days a week, I have the energy to get a really, a really good workout in, let alone most days it's, it's hard for a 15, 20 minute walk to get in. So not, yeah, my body has just completely done a 180 in terms of what I'm able to, to get done in every day. And that's, that's mentally challenging. So now when you got your Lyme diagnosis, yeah. you believed you were going to be able to take some medication, get better and go back to the life you had been living before, right? Yeah, I did. So what medication did you take? One day. <laughs> All right. So what medication did you take and, yeah. and how did that work or not work for you? Yeah. So I started um, last summer, 2019 on disulfiram and disulfiram for those um, aware of it is innovative and exciting, but there, it, there's still a lot of unknowns for sure. It is an abuse. So it is what they have treated alcoholism with um, for decades. And it's now being used to treat Lyme, which is incredible. Um, but it, 
it was really, really, really difficult for me to tolerate. So um, I, I started off, I have an incredible Lyme literate doctor here in Denver, Dr. Dan Kinlinder, Kinlinder her, I always pronounce that wrong. Um, and um, he, he's an extremely empathetic and gentle and wonderful human. Um, and he introduced me to this, to this drug disulfiram. And we started off very, very, very slowly. And I took it for about six months and unfortunately did not have any success and kept having a lot of, of issues with being able to tolerate the medication, with my body's reaction to the medication, and not actually experiencing any relief from or any, any getting better. Um, we found out now that that's actually because I've had parasites in my gut the whole time that have been eating that medication. So I, I'm not currently on anything for Lyme because I'm being treated for the parasites in my gut. Um, so I, you know, I thought that it was going to be nine to 12 months of medication and then I would be fixed. And I'm now over a year in and I really haven't even begun my, my, my Lyme treatment again. Well, I, I don't want you to be so hard on yourself because <laughs> I, I'm sure the parasites are a part of your Lyme treatment. Yeah. And, you know, Lyme disease, unfortunately, is, uh, I think, misunderstood as mm -hmm. a disease that's caused by one bacteria, which we know is not true. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about the disulfiram and, and, and um, why you took it, how you took it, and what the impacts were that it had on your body. You said you didn't tolerate it, but I'd like you to sort of put some meat on that bone. What did that mean you couldn't tolerate it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like you said, you know, Lyme isn't just one bacteria and it's, it, there are so many um, different bacteria that we're dealing with and different infections that one tick is, you know, a tick is a host. So it is a, is a host to many different infections. So um, it can be up to 200. Yeah, exactly. So being able to um, even wrap my own head around that has been, let alone describe that or explain that, you know, yes, I, I have Lyme and that encompasses parasite and that encompasses so many different elements. It's really hard. It's something that I'm still trying to understand. And I think um, I'm really grateful for podcasts like this and resources that are making it more um, digestible and understandable and accessible because it is so something something so complex and hard to understand and I, I don't quite understand how so many different things have been brought to light in my life um, through Lyme but yeah, so disulfiram, I became familiar with the term Herxheimer reaction, which any Lyme knows, um, but it was something that I, I had no idea what that was. So I started taking, but, you know, and this was something that my doctor, my Lyme doctor has been extremely informative and knowledgeable. So it's something that w was being introduced to me as I was, as I was going through it, it's, um, which was wonderful, but you know, I would take the medicine. I started off, so a typical, if you were taking disulfiram for alcoholism, it would be two, pill, two pills a day. And I think it's, um, gosh, what are the milligrams? Like 200 per pill. And I started off on a quarter of one pill every four days. And the next, the, the day after I took that quarter pill into the day after that, I was couch bound. So extreme joint pain, extreme muscle fatigue, exhaustion, and nausea. Um, and it kind of, it, a Herxheimer reaction is basically, you know, the die off of something in your body, you know, an infection dying off and you're basically like experiencing the flu. So I would take a quarter of a dose and I would pretty much feel like I had the flu. And then I'd feel pretty good for a day. And then I take my next dose and then I feel like I had the flu. <laughs> and then um, every two weeks we would increase that dosage. So I would go from a quarter every four days to a quarter every three days to a quarter every two days to a quarter every day. And I got up to a quarter every day. Um, and was tolerating it. Oh, sorry, decline. Um, and I was tolerating it pretty well, but at at that point. Um, but my muscle pain and my joint 
pain started to accelerate to the point where it was, you know, maybe we need to take a break so that we can get the inflammation down in your body. And that's when we started to realize that there was, you know, a multitude of other issues that I was experiencing that were causing the inflammation to be much more severe um, than it should have been from disulfiram. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we've had many guests um, yeah. on this podcast who have described Lyme disease as an onion. They use the onion metaphor and you have to sort of get through one level of the onion before you can get to the next level of the onion until you can get to the next level of the onion. And That's a uh, metaphor. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Um, and, um, and clearly when you use the medication that you were using at that moment, perhaps you were not at a, an appropriate level of your unpeeled onion to properly benefit from disulfiram. And, and I do want to share with you and share with our listeners that we actually did an interview with Dr. Richard Horowitz, mm-hmm. um, where, uh, and we, t- we, we entitled that uh, podcast episode, Has Horowitz Cured Lyme? Where yeah. he discussed his use of disulfiram and the, uh, and the positive um, impacts that it was having. What happened subsequent to the podcast was Dr. Horowitz was very aggressive about pointing out that disulfiram is a successful protocol, at least in his practice, mm-hmm. at curing Lyme for people who only have the, uh, the one bacteria that we traditionally define as Lyme disease, right? Yeah. Borrelia burgdorferi. Mm-hmm. If you had co-infections, this is not necessarily as successful as it would be if not. not so no Dr. Yeah. Harwood shared with us that he believed he cured his wife's Lyme disease, but only because she only had a single bacteria. Yeah. And that's something that we've, um, I I definitely, my doctor and I follow Dr. Horowitz very closely. Um, And that's something that we have since been um, attuned to. So I'm currently now slowly starting to treat Bartonella. So we're going to start working on what we call the quote unquote co-infections. Whether that's the right terminology or not, I'm not sure. Um, But we're I believe disulfiram as a monotherapy work they are finding is not the, not what to do. So we're going to slowly start chipping away at the quote unquote co-infections like I have Bartonella and Babesiosis or Babesia. And we're going to be working on those first. And I believe that treating, getting those at bay, because I, I do experience really horrible symptoms that I, we attribute to those two co-infections um, will, will allow me to then treat the, you know, the Lyme itself. <laughs> no, and, and I think you're giving us a really good example of why we really need to define Lyme disease as a multi-germ infection rather than, rather than a single bacteria causing an infection because it makes it confusing for those of you who are trying to heal from this. And I think it makes it confusing for the medical community generally that you need to have a diversity of diagnostic tools and a diversity mm-hmm. of treatment tools just for the different types of different types of bacteria, viruses, and protozoa that you're, you're going to have to take care of. So for example, you, you have Babesia, which is a form or, or it has been likened to malaria. And in most cases, doctors are treating that with anti-malarial drugs, not with, <laughs> there we go, not with, not with traditional antibiotics or yeah. less than traditional antibiotics, which is why we have, you know, beautiful people like Dr. Horowitz who are doing really creative things with, uh, with medications that have, have not been used in this arena. Uh, but because it's a multi-germ infection, you have to treat it differently than if you had a single bacteria that was causing the infection, which is why you've been failed to this point, despite being lucky enough to have a beautiful man in your life who could help you get a diagnosis. And yeah, and, and, and to and to have the full scope of the diagnosis. So, you've uh, you've tried you've tried one form of um, you fi- you've tried one form of um, of antibiotics and it hasn't helped you. Uh, what other treatments have you done, and what has been helpful during the course of the time that you've been doing these treatments? Absolutely. Um, so we definitely are take a a, a functional approach and a holistic approach to my health. Um, and I, I notice significantly when I am um, doing well because I'm following this approach. When I'm not doing well, it's because I have derailed from this. So um, 
really understanding the foods in that cause inflammation in my body. So eating really clean, um, avoiding gluten and dairy and inflammatory agents, alcohol, obviously, um, taking a wide variety of supplements. Magnesium helps my, my muscle pain significantly vitamin B with energy. Um, Sam, you know, I think I take 32 supplements a day. Honestly, I'm, I'm very, very, uh, Dr. Jill Carnahan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She's a functional medicine guru out here in Colorado. And someone I, I follow very closely, um, works with my Lyme doctor, with Dr. Chad, with Dr. Horowitz, um, and understanding a holistic approach to just reducing any toxic burden in the body that we possibly can so that I can focus, you know, get the inflammation down and focus on fighting the multitude of symptoms that that Lyme has caused. Um, Getting my body, you know, making sure I'm doing infrared saunas have been extremely helpful for me. Epsom salt baths, Alka-Seltzer gold, Um, understanding when my body is starting to show symptoms of what I call a flare-up and trying to mitigate those as quickly as I can using the tools that I have. Um, Unfortunately, right now, I'm kind of experiencing so many different um, toxic burden issues in my body that I'm having a hard time keeping them at bay. But I know I'm starting to build a really wonderful tool belt of what do I do when this happens. Um, And those are just some of the some of the things that have been successful and I'm still actively learning and searching and um, trying to connect with communities that have, you know, are experiencing these things as well and have found success. So it's a constant um, search for knowledge, really. (laughs) Well, it sounds to me like you're also going back to your um, athletic roots where you're (laughs) building a whole team of doctors that you're working with as well. So your, your tool belt is, is, is developing with different techniques and tools that you're using to help you deal with your flare-ups or your, or your herxing. And then you also have a whole team of doctors that you're having work together so that you can collectively come to a place where your healing journey can be short-circuited. Yeah, I'm so excited. Honestly, it's really recently, um, I finally feel like I have this panel of, of doctors and advocates that are working together to help me get better. Um, because, you know, the last two months, just to be completely honest, have been, you know, my body's gotten to the point where I'm not able to keep pushing myself through. I mean, it's, I experience so much pain. I I always say, you know, my, my tolerance for pain is really, really high because I was, I've experienced a lot of injury in my past. So for my pain tolerance is pretty much has gotten to its max. And, you know, from EMF sensitivity, like touching my phone or my computer, um, towards, you know, after 3 p.m., I have, it feels like I'm being tasered. I've got burn marks on my hands from using technology. Um, actual burns on my hands. They get so swollen by the end of the day that I can't bend my fingers. Um, you know, my thyroid doesn't work anymore. I, I've been passing p- worms out of my gut. Like the list goes on and on. Um, but I've got this incredible team of, I've, doctors that are advocating for me and helping working together to help me understand the entire picture so that I'm able to create a comprehensive plan that's not just a single monotherapy treating, you know, Lyme or Babesia or Bartonella. I've got um, a team helping me to build a cohesive picture of what's going on inside my body that's very complicated and hard for um, I think anyone to understand, and I'm sure you speaking with so many different limeys, having so many different experiences, it's really, really hard to wrap your mind, especially when you're in, you know, my brain fog and my ability to completely process anything, let alone one of the most complicated um, diseases you could ever imagine, is it's really confusing and it can feel... Um, 
you get lost in it. And it's definitely been something that I've felt really lost in. And, and I'm really grateful to have doctors working together now. And we're, we're trying to figure out what the best therapies are and what the most comprehensive for attacking such a multitude of issues. Um, so I'm really lucky in that manner. But, you know, I also realize that, that I'm in a fortunate position and that, you know, I couldn't imagine going through this without that, without these people. Well, and I appreciate you, your humility, but I think you have to give yourself a little bit more credit than you're giving yourself for, because I think it's a wonderful accomplishment that you've been able to assemble a team, yeah. a team very much like the team that you had in the past. And that really is a credit to you. These people didn't all find each other. You put them together and you built a team to help you have your group of Avengers to help you to go through this fight. And I admire you for that. And I think that's a really important hack that we have to share with our listeners that you yeah. have to advocate for yourself and you have to build your team and you have to build your toolbox because if you build your toolbox mm -hmm. and you build your team, you are going to have a substantially greater likelihood of achieving that outcome. So despite your humility, I have to give you all the credit for that accomplishment. Appreciate that. Thank you. And you know, something that one of my doctors told me was to use, you know, we live living in 2020, we have access to information, which is incredible. So having, um, you know, oftentimes it can be really hard to understand what, what Lyme is and what, um, how it exhibits in, in anyone's day-to-day -day life. Um, and I think connecting with community of people that are going through it is the way to get through it. And that's something that I've only done recently, because if you're trying to describe what you're going through to someone that hasn't necessarily been there or isn't literate in the, in the topic, it feels maddening and you can feel crazy. And it's, you know, there are so many days and so many times where I feel like I'm losing it because it's so hard to describe what my body is experiencing. But if you go on Facebook and you, or, and connect with Lyme groups, or if you listen to these podcasts, um, you, you start to realize that there is a community out there and then you can connect with people that are experiencing things similar to yours and find out what they're having success with, what they're not having success with, or just be able to vent, you know, have a soundboard of people um, that are going through something similar and knowing that you're not alone and you're not crazy because it can feel, you know, there are days when I'm like, am I losing my mind or do I really feel this horrible? Because it's so hard to wrap your mind around the fact that your body really feels that bad at any given time. Um, so having community and building community has been um, absolutely crucial in me understanding my own, my own diagnosis, my own um, struggles, and being able to kind of help see a light and guide my way through that. Um, I'm really grateful for technology. <laughs> so Athena, I want to talk yeah. about that. I want to talk about that with you. And, and again, uh, I appreciate your humility, but we also have to give you some credit for the transformation that you've made because the technology is only helpful if there's yeah. content available, if there are people who are available, if there are people who are sharing their journey. And we found you because you've become one of those people who is sharing her journey and her experiences. And tell us how you went from being this person who and is very, very sick and going through the process of assembling her own medical team and building her own health toolbox mm -hmm. to now finding the time and the energy to reach out to other Lymeys and help them through their journey. Oh man. So again, I'm going to go back to my, my background as an athlete um, and the ability to create a goal and then create actionable steps towards that goal. So for me, um, when I was an athlete, when I was a skier, I, if I wanted to learn a new trick, I would visualize it in my head. I would go get strong enough that I knew that my body could do it. And then I would create a plan of attack. And it's been the same thing for, my, for me in, in my business and with Lyme disease, which is something I'm really just starting to grow into. And I'm, I'm really excited to see where this, where it blossoms and where it blossoms, because when I get my mind on something, um, it is, it's kind of, you know, it's, I'm an, I have an addictive personality. I'm addicted to um, accomplishing goals and achievements. And um, when I found out that I had Lyme, you know, it's, 
over the past, I'd say just six months, I've been able to get to a place in my own healing where I'm ready to connect with other people and where I'm ready to be an advocate and be an advocate for not only myself, but for other people that, you know, are dealing with Lyme or don't even know about Lyme. So it's, it's definitely taken some time for me to um, be able to articulate what I'm experiencing and be an advocate for it. And I think that's important for anyone going through an illness or any sort of issue is to give yourself time to really wrap your head around it before going out and trying to help other people with it. Um, but for me, now that I understand Lyme and I understand that everything I've been going through is, is something that other people are experiencing, have experienced, will experience, it's a duty and an honor and something I will, I will do for the rest of my life in trying to be an advocate for people that were and are experiencing what I'm experiencing because it is so hard. And I, I really truly feel, you know, feel for people that, that are going through this because I, I know that I'm a very tough person and I, I, and this is, it's a, it's a struggle. Absolutely. So if I can help anyone, like other people are helping me, then that's, um, you know, then I'm doing something right. <laughs> well, Athena, I want to thank you for first taking time out of your life to join our podcast and share so much of your beautiful story with our listeners. But I also want to thank you for becoming the Lyme superhero that you've become. Because a hero is not somebody who just has special talents. A hero is somebody who uses their special talents to help someone else. And yeah. you are doing that in your community, even though you're new to the community. And I want to thank you for using all of your gifts and talents to helping the folks in the Lyme disease community. No, and I want to thank you guys, honestly. Um, when you first reached out, I, I, I almost had one of those butterfly moments. And I was like, really? Someone wants to talk to me about what I about this that's you know it's a true honor and i really really appreciate you guys um really dedicating your lives to awareness and to um creating a platform for us to share our experiences because this is the way that we're gonna be able to help each other get through lyme disease and to help the, the broader community and world as a whole understand just how completely insane this this disease is thank you for listening to the tick boot camp interview with athena brownson to our listeners we have a call to action first if you'd like to learn more about athena brownson please visit her instagram page at athena brownson realtor second if you enjoyed this episode of the tick boot camp podcast please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get the automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.